hey, if it's your first time joining us, a special welcome to you. My name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at The Story. In just a minute, I'll be sharing a message. Uh, but first, I just wanted to say, hey, I, I, I'm so glad you're here. If you wouldn't mind just checking in in the comments on whatever platform you're watching on, Facebook or YouTube, let us know where you're tuning in from. That'd be great to hear from you. I know many of you are itching to get back uh, in, into in-person worship again, and I don't have any news to share quite yet, but I think we will very, very soon. So I'm very excited to share that with you when the time comes. Um, what a week it has been. In addition to everything else going on, we learned about two hurricanes and an asteroid barreling toward us. Um, so uh, 2020, just uh, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> but even in all of this, we learn to cling all the more to Jesus and his love. And that's what really gets us through the day. That's what really binds us together. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. I want to thank you all for all your generous support of the stories, mission, and ministries through all of these uh, many months of trial and, and difficulty. Y'all have kept this thing rolling, and I'm so grateful, and your gifts are so needed, and, uh, and they're being put to such good use. So if you uh, want to give a gift today or set up an on, uh, ongoing recurring gift, uh, the best and easiest way to do that is at thestory.church slash donate. And we try to make that as safe and simple as we could. So be sure to check out that link. And again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Also, be sure to check out all of our podcasts. We have three different podcasts that we curate here at The Story. The Story Houston's uh, Sermon Podcast, which also includes my Friday devotional, The Story at Home, which is three devotionals a week. And then the Maybe God Podcast, which dropped a brand new episode on race this, this week on Friday. Be sure and check out the episode called Is God Colorblind? Uh, I think it will challenge you and bless you. Uh, it, was, uh, it was an incredible blessing to, to make that episode uh, for the Maybe God team. So be sure to check that out and share it with your friends. All right, we're starting a brand new series today. Uh, it is called uh, In the Image of God. Um, and what we're gonna be talking about is a foundational uh, principle of the Christian faith and worldview, okay? So this is a big deal, and it is found throughout the Bible, cover to cover, Old Testament and New Testament. And the, the most famous or familiar passage that speaks to this principle is in the first book of the Bible, in the first chapter. It is Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which reads like this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So the new series we're going to be in through September is called in the image of God, standing up for every human life. And this idea is not just some kind of ethereal notion. It's not just pie in the sky uh, stuff. When we talk about being created in the image of God, we mean something. And the whole ethic outlined in scripture, the ethic of life sort of depends on this understanding you can't really get to any of the other ethical issues that we face and speak to them from a Christian point of view without understanding what it means to be created in the image of God and that every human being is created in the image of God. So throughout the rest of this series, we're gonna be wading into some pretty deep and dark waters and I'm a little scared, okay? Because we're gonna be talking about some issues that can be rather incendiary, but that have to do with this concept. We're gonna be talking about issues like abortion, 
issues like racism and immigration and gender. Some of you are going to be very challenged by parts of this series. You're going to hear something in this series that probably is going to really turn you off of the story you're standing and make you wonder if you should keep going to church or whatever. I know that's going to happen. And so if you're concerned about being upset or offended or something uh, by something that I say, you probably should be. But what I'm going to try to do is to try to get myself and my opinions out of the way so that your qualm and quarrel won't be with my opinions, but it'll be with specifically and clearly what the Bible says on each of these topics. And so if you have a quarrel, it'll be with, with the Bible, and we'll have to figure that out when we get there, right? But some of you are really going to like what the Bible has to say about abortion, for example, but you may not be as comfortable with what the Bible says clearly about immigration and refugees. Others of you are really, really going to like what the Bible has to say about racism, but you may not be as comfortable with what the Bible says about gender. And so what we're going to have to do is understand that the God of the Bible leaves no one's political opinions unscathed. We will all be challenged by God's word. Otherwise, we have made God in our image instead of having been made in the image of God. And I hope we can see uh, the difference. So um, that's the task at hand. And if you're nervous about that, imagine how I feel. <laughs> and uh, yet, I do want to say, relax today. We're not going to get into any of those issues today. That's in the coming weeks. Today, we have to lay the groundwork before we get there. We have to talk about what it means to be created in the image of God. And so I've got two questions. First of all, what do we mean when we say every human being, every human life is made in God's image. And second, what would happen? How would the world be different if every follower of Jesus chose to see the image of God in each person, in every human life? How would we change the world if we lived that way? So first, what do we mean when we say that all human beings are made in God's image? Clearly, we don't mean a physical image, right? God is spirit, the Bible says. And so we don't mean that our bodies are made in the image of a, uh, of a bodily God. God is spirit. And so there's something more qualitative, something spiritual even that, um, that is in us that reflects the image of our creator. And so I could unpack each one of these that I'm about to list out in about 30 seconds um, and, and have a whole series on, on each one of these, right? But but I got to get through these. I just want to kind of let you know what we're talking about. So first of all, there's this idea of authority. The authority and dominion God places at the, at the behest in the hands of human beings like no other species. And then there is our, um, our capacity for creativity, our ability to fill museums with all kinds of works of art, our ability to build buildings and cities and all the things we do and, and flexing our creative muscles. And then there's our appreciation for beauty, how we can just sit and ponder beauty when we see it. These things are distinctly human. Because God is good and just, and we're made in God's good and just image, we are born with an innate sense of objective morality. We believe that every human being is born with this sense of what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. And it is not a relativistic sense of morality. It is a true and objective sense of, of morality and, and what is ethically right. 
We also think that our gender is a reflection of God's image. And um, what I mean isn't that one gender or the other reflects the image of God, but that both do. Remember when I read that passage from Genesis 1, it said, in the image of God, God created them, male and female, God created them. So Christians believe that there's something about maleness that reflects the image of God. And there's something about femaleness that reflects the image of God as well. So beyond those five, there's three more that are, I think, of, of sort of preeminent importance. And uh, the, the first one of these is, uh, is the idea of personhood. So God is not a, uh, just a, a detached, distant, kind of impersonal figure. In the Bible, God is a person. God has a mind, God has a will, he has emotions and us having been created in his image, we have the same. We have a mind, we have a will, we have emotions. And so God is not the universe. You know, God is a person who can be known and loved. Speaking of love, um, we have an innate sense in us that without love, life is fairly meaningless. You can be super successful. You can accomplish all kinds of things. But if you have not loved and been loved, then what is life for? What does life even mean if you have not known love? We know this to be true in a deep level, whether you're Christian or not, right? Now, we understand that to be the case because we're created in the image of a God who the Bible says is love. God doesn't just love as a verb. God is love. It's part of his essence and who he is. And so having been created in his image, we are the same way. Finally, and most importantly, one of the ways that our existence as human beings reflects the image of God is in our innate worth, the innate intrinsic value of every human life. There is something holy and otherworldly about a human life. There is something truly tragic when a human life is unnecessarily lost, right? Or tragically lost. There is something truly sad about that. And what sets this apart, I think, for humanity in particular is uh, the fact that our worth is intrinsic and your value as a human being has nothing to do with what your worth in terms of the world, your, your net worth, right? That has nothing to do with your actual worth. It has nothing to do with how many people you support, how many people you employ. Uh, it has nothing to do with how many cars you have or how much money you have or what your job is. You could quit your job tomorrow, never make another dollar for the rest of your life, and decades later, after becoming you know, a panhandler or living on the street or whatever, and you know, uh, not supporting another person for the rest of your life, you would be every bit as valuable as you are today. Your life would carry every bit as much worth then as it does today. You are worth the same on your best day as you are on your worst. And that is a core understanding and underpinning of uh, this idea of having been created in God's image. It is our intrinsic value as, uh, as human beings, all right? So simply because God made you in his image. One of my favorite theologians, uh, A.W. Tozer, wrote, what comes to mind uh, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? 
um, especially when you think about being created in God's image, how should we think about this God of ours and what the implications are that we're made in his image? Uh, To think through this some more, I reached out to one of my theological heroes. So I was reading a book uh, a few weeks back uh, by Alan Hirsch, who I have looked up to for decades. He is a giant in the world of uh, sort of evangelical Christianity. He's been speaking truth to Christians like me for more than two decades. And he has a new book called Reframation. Reframation, he's looking ahead to what the future church should look like. And in this book, he's talking about how we tend to, um, for simplicity's sake, reduce God down. And when we think of God, we think of some reduced view of him, something less than what he really is. And that makes sense in a way because God is so huge and vast, we cannot conceive of his enormity. But when we reduce God to something less than what he is, we also in turn reduce the stories that we tell about God or the story that we're living with God to something less than it should be to. In other words, one of the ways that this happens is when we start telling our story to someone who asks us why we're a Christian, we start with the fact that we were sinners. We were sinners, God saved us. We were bad, God is good. We were a mess, God is perfect. And that's where we start the story. And that's all fine and well. That's a good story, but it's not the whole story. Because that's like starting the Bible story in Genesis 3 when even Adam ate the apple rather than in Genesis 1 where they were made in God's good and perfect image. And so we start with something negative and we boil the gospel story down to something less than what it should be. And this week, I had the great honor of speaking with Alan Hirsch via Zoom. He lives in Melbourne, Australia. I'm gonna share a clip from this conversation. It's a nine-minute clip, okay? But Alan Hirsch is way smarter than me, and you're gonna get so much more out of what he has to say. Um, There is a little bit of a lag in the video because he's in Melbourne, and so we put some subtitles in so you can follow along nice and easy. But check out this nine-minute clip from one of my heroes, Alan Hirsch. You discuss in your book um, how limiting or reducing God leads us to tell reduced stories. Um, I just wondered if you could share a little bit more about the connection between our theology and the stories that we tell. It's interesting, uh, you know, Eric, that all stories begin with once upon a time. You know, all good stories are when something was perfect. And it was, you know, it was a perfect example. And then something happened. I mean, all fairy tales, it's all once upon a time and then some evil, you know, thing happens and, you know, and then, you know, this, they go through this kind of journey and then there's a redemptive side of the other side. So deep within our myths and our narratives are, is the structure of the gospel. And to begin our telling of the gospel with kind of a Genesis 3 before, that is, we are sinners. We are broken, um, and you know, you know, we are, you know, we, we're uh, we're not, we're not believers, all that stuff, right? But and that's true, right? Right. We are that. I believe in sin. I mean, it's clearly there, but it's it, it's a secondary truth. The primary truth about any one of us is that we're all made in God's image, and that we, there was a that we were made to be in the relationship, in communion with eternal God, and we had an open relationship. That's the once upon a time side of things. 
then the fall happens, and then, of course, it sets us up for redemption. And the thing is, if we don't start with Genesis 1 in the, you know, in the per- perfect kind of experience that is broken, then we end up with a, what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. We, try, we, de- we see the gospel as something that just is dealing with problems rather than helping us be restored into a relationship that was broken. And I think it's really important that we learn to tell the story from God's love and his design, original design, and how it was busted up, rather than starting with the bust up. Yeah. No, I really, really appreciate that. And I think uh, it, it resonated with me on a deep level. I'm not sure exactly why it hit me so hard, but something felt really true about the, um, the reduced story we tell when we begin to testify to Jesus with, so I was a sinner, or so I was living in sin, or so I was in darkness, or so I was lost, or so I was whatever, and then Jesus came and found me and made me okay. Rather than starting with, so God made me good, God made me in his image, and God made you in his image, and yeah, then things went wrong, but, but the things going wrong, like you said, it was a secondary truth, and the primary one is so often missed and so important. I remember just a story about that, um, you know, when I maybe first came across this idea as a guy, a friend of ours, who was giving a, a, you know, a retreat of some sort, and he asked the question of a group of uh, Christian leaders, what's the first thing you can say about Hitler? No, I'm, I'm Jewish, come from Jewish background, right? So I think, no, Hitler's not very cool, right? So I don't have a lot of nice things to say, and I don't think most people would, right? So I don't think of Hitler as anything. And I said, so everyone was spilling out, right? He was evil, he was this, he was that. And the guy said, no, no, that's not, not the first thing you can say about Hitler. What you can say about Hitler is he's like God. And I remember thinking, <laughs> Hitler's like God? And he said, yes, but that's the first truth. Yes, Hitler is broken, sinned, you know, fallen, deeply destructive. But the image of God is still flickering. In, in, even in a person like Hitler, because he's human. He's made in the image of God. That's a primary truth. And that changes the way we engage people. We see them differently when we see them as primary image bearers rather than just sinners, right? Now, they are sinners, but they are primary, first and foremost, image bearers. Yeah. If we could just drill down a little bit on that and, uh, and dig in a little deeper on um, what the implications are. If we're saying every human being is made, whether they're Christian or not, whether they're saved or not, whatever they are, whoever they are, they're made in the image of God. What does that really mean to our story? How does it enhance the story that we tell? Well, it means that, you know, there was, there was something else that we were made for. We carry a bit of eternity around in us, every human being. There's something that human beings are designed for that cannot be fulfilled by merely created ends, that there's something we purposed for something much greater uh, than, 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 than simply, you know, the things that we try and fill it with, you know. So there's a yearning in the human soul that kind of comes from the very way we are shaped, the way we imprinted, that we carry something of eternity in us. And, uh, you know, that is true of every human being. And, and, you know, so I think we, our story, our gospel telling needs to acknowledge that. It's not saying it's the only truth, but it is primary. It's a, it's a first, first a primordial truth of first order. And, like, again, it's the way we see people, right? So if I see you as, as, as primarily a sinner, uh, if that's my 
primary interpretation of you, then I would probably distance myself from you to some degree. If I see you as a bearer of something of the mystery and the wonder of God, that deep buried down within you, in me, is something that hints, that is an image or a reflection of, of God, then uh, there's something wonderful about that. Yeah. God is great. This is huge. And we live the small little lives over here. I mean, why would we do that? God has come to give us in, in life in, in complete abundance. And so, I love I love that. And I, I find a lot of, uh, I, I draw a lot of energy and passion from that. And, and in your book, you're very clear that you're not calling the church to be like less churchy or less Christian or less about the Bible or less evangelical. You're calling us to be more of that. And as we become more of that, uh, we will be compelled to stick our head out of the cave and see the world around us and find God there waiting for us. And he's been waiting out there for us all along to go and, and, and represent him well out there. Absolutely. Remember, we're dealing with reduction or heresy here. That, so how do you re- heal uh, reductionism? is to always think both and, that you've got a piece of truth, but you know what? There's much more to be had. It's not the only piece. Don't treat it as the only thing. It's, it's, it's always, God is always bigger, never smaller. If we think, if, if, if our approach to the world actually takes us to a smaller understanding of things, it's in the wrong direction mm. because the gospel is always bigger than our gospel of sin management. Yeah, and we know uh, right now, especially um, with everything that's going on in the world around us, we know that church's image is not a very positive one. Um, how would you hope to see years from now a church after taking your words seriously and taking the Bible seriously and and presenting a, a re-enchanted gospel to the world uh, and uh, enlivened with imagination again, how would you hope to see the church perceived in the days ahead by the world around us? Well, I think, you know, if we limit it to, you know, my own tribe of the evangelicals, the word evangel means gospel. Uh, So we're meant to be gospel people. And I would like to think that we could actually, most people think of us as bad news folk, you know, we don't don't come off as as particularly good news people. And uh, because, you know, we think it's our job to make people feel bad about themselves before they can feel better. I thought it was the Holy Spirit's role to teach people about sin and righteousness and convict them. It's not our job. Don't try and be people who control other people's moral behaviors. It just makes you unhappy. It's God's job to bring holiness into the world and we to witness to that and to witness with a credible life, right? So I would just say, be good news people, you know? Oh my goodness, there's so much things there to be experienced by us, but also, you know, how the world needs so much more good news. I think that's what we should be. Amen. And you mean, you mean online too, right? Not just in person. We have to be good news people online. I think it's maybe right now in our day, maybe especially so. Amen. You know, everyone's got a pulpit now, don't they? You know, that's right. That's right. They're going to tell everyone else what they think. And I think, wow. I mean, (laughs) truly the, the priesthood of all believers on Facebook. Gosh, <laughs> if, if that's the priest of all believers, then it's not pretty. We're in trouble. <laughs> be kind. Yeah, we need to be kind. Good people. Witness to yeah. Jesus. Let him be convicting people about their their sins. It's not our job.
All right. Um, I really want to thank Alan Hirsch for joining me for that conversation this week. And there is a whole lot more. We talked for an hour and a half, but I wanted to share just a little bit of that with you so you could hear from him and so that you could hear him say, as a Jewish person born to a Jewish family, that there was a, a glimmer of the image of God, even in someone as vile as Adolf Hitler, which is an extreme case, obviously, but it is such an important reminder to you and to me that you are made in the image of God. And the image of God is who you really are. And every person you meet, who they really are is not the bad stuff. It's not the stuff that gets on your nerves. It's not the stuff that makes you mad. It's not the stuff that's ungodly in your view. It's the image of God in them. They carry around with them to a little bit of eternity, as Alan said. There is a glimmer of God's perfection in them, even though it might be covered by, you know, sin and shame and everything else. And, and so um, I think this is a really important thing to, re- to remember going forward throughout the rest of this series. And that really brings us to the second part of, uh, of the second question I wanted to ask today. How would the world change if every Christian chose to see God's image in every human being? Listen, if every human being is made in God's image. And if sin cannot destroy it, while sin may distort it, sin cannot destroy the image of God in them, then every single person you meet this week carries around the image of the God you love. Do you remember in Matthew 25, when Jesus said that whenever we take care of people, we're actually taking care of him? Whenever we feed people, we're feeding him. Whenever we, whenever we nurse someone's wounds, we are doing that to him. Whenever we honor people, we are honoring him. I think that's because every person, even the most down on their luck, even the most in pain, hurting, or even the hurtful people, they are made in God's image. And so when we take care of them, we're taking care of Jesus. Obviously, that's the bright side. And there's another side to that same idea, which is that whenever we hate someone, we hate the God who made them. Whenever we dishonor them, we dishonor the God who made them in his image. Whenever we wish someone would just go away, we wish someone were dead, we do that to the image of God in them. And so what should we do? When the world or the people in it make it so hard to believe that every single person is made in the image of the God of the Bible, whenever people act crazy, whenever people say things that infuriate us, what do we do? I asked Alan about that as well, and I'm not gonna share any more clips with you, but, but Alan told me, look, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes this world seems so ungodly, so fallen, so depraved, so hateful, so violent. And the easy thing to do as Christians then is just to circle the wagons and be good Christians together, separate from the world. And, and Alan said, no, we've got to go into the world and see the image of God in every person. And when that's hard, we look to Jesus, who is the answer to our every question. But God, what about when they say stuff I can't abide? No, 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 you don't fight back, you you be Jesus. But God, what about whenever my favorite candidate is gonna lose and the bad guy's gonna win? No, 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 no. That's not the time to fight. Just be Jesus. But God, what when they're, what about when they're really being idiots? And I just want to tell them something really smart to make myself feel better. No, 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 no. Just be Jesus. That's, that's all you've got to do is just be Jesus. Imagine what would happen if the church 
started to look, act, sound, and think like Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, is the image of the invisible God. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And Hebrews 1, 3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. The more you follow this Jesus, who is the exact imprint of the nature of God, the more you realize how in your fallen state, he still saw the good, the redeemable quality in you. He still came to to rescue you because you were made in his image. The more you follow this Jesus, the more you begin to identify him and his image in the people around you, even people that don't call themselves Christians, even people whose choices you may not agree with, you still are more prone to see the God in them, the image of God in them, even if they may not be here with you on a Sunday morning. What a powerful thing it would be if the church woke up to this reality and instead of reminding the whole world what a bunch of sinners they are, how bad they are, how short they have fallen from God's glory, how often they miss the mark. Instead of telling them all the things they expect to hear from Christians like us, imagine if we told them, hey, I see the image of my God in you. When you create that art you love, I see the image of God. When you appreciate the beauty of creation around you, I see the image of God in you. When you demonstrate a knowledge of the difference between right and wrong, you do the right thing, I see the image of my God in you. I see God in you. Don't you know that's what Jesus said to a bunch of losers in his day? He looked at people that were lost and he said, you're going to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. I see it in you because it was in you from the beginning. It's who you really are. Can you imagine what a response that would bring rather than you're bad, you're a sinner, you're lost. Be ashamed. I see God in you and God sees you. God, he knows your name. He knows your every thought. He sees your every tear that falls. He hears you when you call. This God who made you in his image, he wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to be known and loved by you. This God I see in you, he created you for something more than what you're living for. What a difference that would make if that was the message we who bear the name of Jesus took to the world he made. I imagine you can identify someone in your life right now who needs to hear that they were made in God's image and that who they are, who they really are, is good and godly and that they're here for a greater purpose. I pray that you respond to the call of God today to share that message with the world around you. Would you join me in prayer? Father, um, we need your help right now because our pride gets in the way. Our pride and our fear, our sin gets in the way of being who we really are. And frankly, God, sometimes we would rather be right. We would rather win the point. We would rather win the election. We would rather, you know, look good in front of others than just tell people 
even people we may not agree with or like or approve of, that the God we know, the image of our God is in them. And that regardless of what others have told them, they are essentially good, created in the image of a good God who loves them, who created them for more. Help us to be fearless, courageous, and humble as we share this word with the world around us. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.